0: Love is spiritual, not natural. You ever think about that? This is absolutely miraculous. With love, you get the results now. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd, and welcome to Deep Water. Uh, we started this program really as a discussion starter. Let's talk about what's important. At least some. Uh, With people that we care about, with friends, let's start talking about what's really important. And uh, I am not at all meaning, for these uh, recorded sessions I do, for you to take what I say as, okay, this is the truth about this situation. No, this is my two cents. Check it out for yourself and then see what you believe. But let's quit looking at screens all the time and start having meaningful, deep, intimate discussions in kindness, truth, and love with people that we care about. And the more of those you have, The closer you're going to grow with those people, the more intimacy you're going to feel in your heart. There's sexual intimacy and there's non-sexual intimacy, and I believe you need both, okay? And those are both going to grow if you start discussing in truth, love, and kindness the big issues of life. Most people don't do that anymore today. Let's start it again. Okay. Today um, I'm talking about divorce and this has to be one of the biggest issues in the world because uh, today 41% of all marriages end in divorce, 60% of all second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of all third marriages end in divorce and 4th and 5th go up yet again, okay? What does that mean? Well, it means about half the people out there are children from a divorce, okay? So you're talking basically about something that affects one person in two, and it's even more than that because if you're married to someone who's affected by that or you're a good friend with someone who's affected by that, that has an effect on you too, and that's virtually all of us, okay? Uh, I don't know anyone who hasn't been touched by a divorce issue either um, directly or indirectly through people that they know. So uh, this is a huge issue for everyone. And even if you're not struggling with this today, there's a good chance you will at some point or be called to help someone who's struggling with it. So um, that's why we're going here. A divorce happens about every 36 seconds. In the United States, the typical cost of a divorce in the United States is about $13,000, and that's just absolutely bare bones, okay? If the people have money, it can easily cost hundreds of thousands or even millions, all right? But the basic government filing and all that all that sort of thing averages about thirteen. $1,000. Well, there there's a lot of money generated and a lot of money lost every single year related to this one thing. In fact, many, many bankruptcies, a significant percentage of bankruptcies are due to d- divorce. But that's not the important stuff, okay? As, as uh, dark a picture as that may seem, that's the best news about it. So what's the worst news? Ah, the worst news is that what the statistics and studies say is that if you become divorced, your odds went have just gone up twenty percent for cancer, heart disease, diabetes, depression, anxiety, um, a life-threatening illness. For, in. In any divorce situation, the, the percentages go up 20% that one of those two spouses is going to have get cancer, heart disease, diabetes, or another significant illness or disease, and it will negatively affect their life for the rest of their life, or possibly even a premature death. Okay, And that's for the two principals, the the two people that were married. For children, the the percentages are a little bit higher than 20%. And what those indicate is depression, anxiety, uh, their grades taking a nosedive or going down, uh, taking drugs and alcohol, Negative behaviors, and not necessarily like like uh, you know becoming a criminal, but negative self-defeating behaviors, becoming angry with people, acting out, um, being hard to get along with, uh, etc. And the studies say that for children, no matter when the divorce happens, if if are children, when it happens those effects typically last well into their 30s, which means the effect of that divorce that is 25-30% greater chance of depression, anxiety, alcoholism, drugs, negative behavior, not succeeding at what you're doing like you're capable of, whatever, that those effects are pretty much in, in full force for a minimum of two decades after the divorce. And then for some, they start dropping off and the person starts adapting and and doing better in their life. But for a significant percentage, they don't. They struggle with those same negative things in their life that came from the divorce for the rest of their life. Pretty, Pretty daunting. So, what's the deal? Uh, Why is divorce so destructive to everyone involved? Uh, The parents, 20% chance of illness, disease, premature death, children, depression, anxiety, alcoholism for at least two decades of their life after the divorce. Why? What is so destructive? Well, let me try to flesh that out giving you my Two cents on that. I believe there's three issues: love, anger, and unforgiveness. Okay, let's take love first. The traditional marriage ceremony—it's built right into what you vow, what you promise. Although it's really even more than a promise because it's up in front of people with a spotlight on you. Uh, You're only doing this with one person in your life. Okay? And And I promise to what? Well, a number of things, but the big one to me I promise to love. And they both say that, typically. And even in today's marriages that aren't traditional, Most of the uh, vows that the people write for themselves include love. They write it and they say it in the ceremony, okay? Well, to me, that is the biggest place that, that it breaks down because this exact thing happened to me and I realized that not only did I not love hope even though I had vowed to do so for the rest of my life, but I didn't even know what love was at that point in my life. And we were on, on the brink, about to get a divorce. Okay. What I thought love was, was, um, number one, uh, sex and intimacy. I'm not saying that was necessarily the priority number one, but that was certainly one of the big things. Companionship. Um, A shared life, uh, division of responsibilities, um, support when things aren't going well, uh, to do enjoyable activities with, trips, whatever, and finally, someone to have children and a family with, if that's a decision that we're going to make, okay? And that's what I was thinking. And so, in my mind, we went into marriage and and, uh, one of my specialties in over 30 years of counseling has been couples, relationship, and particularly marriage counseling. Okay? So, I have no idea how many couples I've worked with. Hundreds. Hundreds. Maybe thousands. But anyway, um, I did not even know what love was. I thought love was uh, I, here's what I thought love was, that, that hope and I went into this um, went into this relationship with an unwritten, but understood contract. And I found out later that that was the truth. In Hope's mind, we had an unwritten but agreed to contract. And the contract was, I will do this if you will do that. And I won't do this if you won't do that. And ladies and gentlemen, I would say 99.9% of all couples who get married that, I, that I've that i ever had any contact with, that's what they're thinking too when they go into marriage. That we have a written or unwritten contract and you're gonna, this person's going to do certain things, and this person's going to do certain things. Well, what happens when you get into the marriage, and either the person doesn't do those things, or it's being perceived that the person is not doing those things? And, and you get into one of these chicken or the egg deals, okay? Uh, one person gets upset... then the other person gets upset, then the other person gets more upset, then the other person gets more upset, and then you end up at at divorce, whether it actually happens or just something close. Well, I believe the first element of it is not really understanding what real love is. What I describe to you that it was my understanding and hopes when we went into our marriage is not love. Okay? I'll do this, if you'll do that, I won't do this, if you, etc. That's not love. That's a business deal. Think about it. It's a business deal. Okay? That's the same thing you do in business. You drop a contract. This party does this and this party does that and on the basis of that, they agree, and and then this party gets this out of their joint thing, and this party gets this out of their joint thing. Right? And as long as it's going good, everything's fine. Until one of the parties quits doing their part, and then it's probably even written into the contract what, what their penalty is, what their punishment is for not living up to the terms of the contract that they agreed to. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a business deal. That is not love. So, if you went into love, into marriage, like Hope and I did, and that was your understanding as well, then I believe you've got to immediately, yesterday, as fast as possible, come to a true understanding of what love is and start to live that in your marriage. And if you've not been doing that and you start doing that, I promise you it is going to absolutely shake things up and chances are things are going to get better and better and better. So, if that's not what love is, what is love? Here's what I discovered in, in the six weeks that uh, Hope and I were separated. She kicked me out of the house, said, I can't stand to live with you another day. Please leave. And she wanted a divorce. Alright? So, at that time, she really on was on the verge of hating me if she didn't hate me. And I think she might have. But regardless, she was close to that. Alright? She told her girlfriends, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life, to be away from Alex. Okay? And so we were separated from six for six months and I realized that I'd been telling Hope I love you every day when I really didn't even know what love was. So over that six weeks, I prayed, I meditated, I went to the library, I talked to people way smarter than me, I started reading all of the different religious textbooks and wisdom literature and everything like that, and I came to um, an understanding of what I believed real love was, okay, and still do today, and this is it. Love is all in, 100%, all in, nothing held back, with no plan B, no safety net, no matter what happens, forever. And I still believe today that's what love is. Now let's go a little farther. So what are some specific things that would describe love? Here's what I discovered. Love does not keep any record of wrongs done against me. So if Hope and I are married for six years and we're having marriage problems and we have a fight and I start bringing up 10, 15, 20 things that she's done wrong over the last six years that have led us to this place. I don't. Lo- that's not love. Okay? That, that's business deal. Okay? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, I wasn't doing that. In fact, when we went to our first counseling session, I had like five pages front and back of everything Hope had ever done and why she was the cause of our problems. All right? not love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Number two, love never fails. Love always wins. Love always succeeds. Well, everything at that time in my life, when we were close to divorce, everything in my life was failing. My finances, I was about to go bankrupt, my health, I felt bad every single day. Friends that I'd had in college, when they would see me, would say, Alex, are you okay? You don't look so good. And I felt horrible. I had every symptom of cancer. Have no idea if I had cancer, but I had every symptom, all right? Um, was about to be fired from my job, was m- basically miserable every single day, even though I painted on a smile. Okay, so everything in my life was failing. Love always wins. Love never fails. All right, here's one you're gonna like Love suffers all and every kind of pain. Love suffers all and every kind of pain. Man, when I first saw that one, it's like, pain? What are you talking about? I didn't get into this marriage for pain. I mean, I got into this marriage for pleasure, uh, fun, going to movies, holding hands, sex, having kids and raising them, going on trips, presents, Christmas. I mean, pain? What are you talking about? If I would known this was about pain, I never would have done it. Love always, as long as you keep loving, love always includes pain. If you love someone long enough, you are going to experience pain related to that relationship. Sometimes not so bad. Sometimes absolutely crushing pain. All right. What does love do when pain hits? Does love fight? become angry? Does love run? No. Love sticks. Love says no matter what, no safety net, all in, forever, no matter what, love sticks. Now, now, disclaimer here. If there's abuse going on, emotional or physical, I'm the first one to say get the heck out of there. But, even if you get the heck out of there, you've got to keep loving that person, even if it's from a distance. If you don't, it will kill you. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay? But love suffers all pain. Love endures every every uncomfortable to life-altering pain and still sticks. Okay? Um... So those are some descriptors of love. Love doesn't become angry easily. And that's the next one we're going to talk about. All right? Um, but, but before we leave love, uh, I wanted to share, when I would have a couple come into me for marriage counseling, and they were thinking of getting a divorce, and that, I, that's been a whole bunch of people for me, because that was, that was one of the main things I dealt with. I have a thing called The Greatest Principle in the World That Almost Nobody Knows that I've been teaching for over 30 years. And that's the first place I would go with a couple who was thinking about divorce. Alright? And it's some of what I've been telling you so far but a lot of other stuff too. I've got a teaching on that. You can go back and watch The Greatest Principle and I'd highly advise that if you haven't. Because it, it, I've never seen it not change a person's life if they do it. But I would back to marriage counseling, I would teach them the greatest principle, and I knew in my heart that if I could get one of them to live the greatest principle, commit to it and live it as best they could, that virtually every single time I would get the other one automatically. Why? Because real love is so rare. It is so overwhelming. It is so unbelievable. It is so it is so that thing inside you that you've always wanted most in your life but maybe haven't felt very often. That's what it is. Okay? It, it, is, it is euphoria. It is enlightenment. It is all of that stuff plus more. It's beyond words. All right? So if I got one of them to embrace, make a vow, and start living the greatest principle as best they could, you'll never do it perfectly right, but you'll do it better and better. But if I could get one of them, I'd usually get the other one because it's almost impossible to resist. That's what happened with Hope and I. So we're separated for six weeks I discover what real love is, in my opinion, and on a particular day, at a particular time, got on my knees and said a prayer to God and made a vow, I'll never do it right, but I'm going to really love hope with real love, not business deal love, as best I can for the rest of my life. And I meant it. You can't just say it. You gotta mean it. I meant it from the marrow of my bones. You gotta remember at that time, she wanted a divorce a hundred percent. So I'm committing to love someone that's probably gonna be married to someone else and raising someone else's kids. Well that probably not gonna feel good, right? Well, most people wouldn't commit to that. That sounds like a bad choice, right? No. It is It is always the right choice with love. The more love, the better. Period. Okay? So knowing that she wanted a divorce and all that other stuff, I committed before God with all my heart, nothing held back, no plan B, no safety net, forever, no matter what, to really love hope for the first time. And I did. I did. And and I don't believe it was me. As soon as those words were out of my mouth, on my knees, making that vow, I felt this change in me that I'd never felt before in my life. And I started loving spontaneously. It wasn't like it was all this effort and willpower. I mean, that's when it's business deal love. When it's real love, it usually flows. It's usually natural. It's your default now. Okay, you'd almost have to try not to be that way. Okay, so I finally convinced Hope to go on a date with me. Okay, and she had all these rules. Uh, You're not coming in the house, someplace public, one hour only, don't ask me about our relationship, all all that stuff. Okay, and I, I agreed to all of it. And I drove over, knocked on the door at the time we had agreed, and I'm going to stand up to demonstrate this, and um, I could tell she opened the door mad. Okay? Did not want to be doing this. But I think to her, really, it was like her closure. Now she could tell her friends and parents and everybody. I gave him one last chance, but her 100% intention was... It's over, okay? So, she, so I knock at the door, she opens the door, and she does a double take. Here's what she does. She opens the door, looks at me, and then looks back. Like she's trying to look deep down into my soul and heart through my eyes. I, I, I've never seen her do that again as long as I've known her. 34 years now. She would tell me later she wouldn't tell me at the time because she thought maybe it wasn't real, but she would tell me later that that first time she looked in my eyes, she knew I was not the same man. And as hard as she tried to not love me again, she couldn't help it. The love overwhelmed her, and and she fell way more in love with me than she had ever been. We had a recommitment ceremony a few weeks later and 34 years later still going strong. Um... And... And and through that she started living real love. Okay? And that's exactly what happened with almost every single one of my couples. If I could get one I would get both. So The first problem related to divorce is a right understanding of what real love is and that what 9 out of 10 people call real love is really fake love. It's a business deal. Okay, how do you tell if your love is real love or fake love? Anger, which I said I was going to talk more about in a minute. And that's the number two thing. When you experience anger and your life is not in imminent mortal danger, it means that you have a wrong goal. A goal that should never have been a goal. And a goal that is both stressing you out and leading to negative outcomes instead of positives in your life. Now, there is a righteous anger. Righteous anger would be being angry over something that would make God angry, or being angry over something that would violate love, like a child being hurt or abused or something like that. That's righteous anger, but that's usually a rare exception. Okay, So if your life is not in imminent danger, and it's not righteous anger, and you experience anger about something, and, and or anything in the anger family. Anger, irritation, frustration, resentment, bitterness. There's a whole bunch of them related to anger. Just Google all emotions and feelings related to anger. If you, if you experience one of those, it means you had a wrong goal. Okay, And typically, the wrong goal is that you have an expectation uh, of something in the future. Okay, Dr. Dan Gilbert, Harvard University, wrote a best-selling book called Stumbling Into Happiness. You see him on TV commercials a lot now for insurance companies and stuff. Very, very highly regarded Harvard professor. And the culmination of years of research he did at Harvard and he wrote into the book was this. Expectations are a happiness killer. Why would they be a happiness killer? Because what they found at Harvard is that the instant you have an expectation of something in the future that you're not 100% in control of, which is pretty much everything, you could fall over dead in five seconds, it puts your brain and nervous system into fight-or-flight stress. For how long? For as long as you have that goal which for a lot of people is decades or even their entire life. So a lot of people are going around stressed, which means your unconscious mind is giving you negative thoughts, negative feelings, uh, negativity in your body, turns your immune system off or down, turns digestion off or down, higher intellectual functioning, creativity, problem-solving down, sends all that energy to your animal brain and the large muscle group so you can fight or flee. And a lot of people have that happening all day every day because of expectations or wrong goals related to that, in this case, relationship of marriage. And then the other one besides expectation is fake love versus real love, which is, again, back to the greatest principle, teaching. So, if you experience something in the anger family related to your significant other, uh, you, you have a wrong goal. And what's interesting about that is it's a total paradox, because when you experience the anger, it's almost 100% of the time because you think the other person's doing something wrong or not doing something they should be doing. When in reality, the reason you're experiencing the anger is because you have a wrong goal. Get rid of the wrong goal, get a right goal, and that goes away. And very often, so does the business deal love, and now you're able to real love. Remember, When I committed to hope, to love her no matter what, I believed at the time that she was going to marry someone else and have someone else's children. So, as far as any expectation of me and her in the future, I had to give that up. That's what I thought was going to happen. Okay? So, um, the second problem related to divorce and all the pain and suffering that comes from that is anger. Number one, love, not understanding what it really is and committing to it. Number two, anger, which really tells you if you're doing business deal love or fake love and whether you have expectation or not. And then the third one is uh, forgiveness or unforgiveness. Uh, I believe unforgiveness is the biggest issue on planet earth and I've never seen a, a divorce situation Where it was not one of the major components. Okay? You know what the word really means in the original language? Um, It means to cut the bonds. And the picture is you've got someone tied up with ropes, okay? And you cut the ropes and set them free, all right? To cut the bonds. That makes sense, right? Well, it's because it's not true. That is not what it means. Okay? What the original word picture for unforgiveness is is you have a rope tied to you and to that person so that you can't get away from them. Everywhere you go, you're taking them with you. Well, if if, someone... If you have unforgiveness towards someone, is that what you want? To take them everywhere you go, including in bed at night and to the bathroom, and, you know, there's like a three-foot cord, and that's as far away as you can get them? So you've got that negativity of theirs all the time, or whatever it is you don't like. No, that's not what you want. That's what you don't want, right? By not forgiving them, you keep them tied to you in a negative way. But it's not really like a rope. It's much more like an umbilical cord where their energy and negativity is constantly coming to you. And Albert Einstein did a wonderful study about that in 1935 proving that it was called action at a distance. Check that out if you want. And that's exactly what you're doing if you do not forgive that person. And in Einstein's experiment, um, what it showed is that this person that you don't forgive can negatively affect not just your emotions and thoughts, but your very physiology. And it can happen constantly, almost 24-7. Now, if you forgive them, if you cut the rope, now they're free... And you're free. Alright? So how do you do that? How do you forgive someone? I, I, I've had clients who have said a hundred times, I forgive them. Because the unforgiveness was just eating them up inside, which it absolutely will. But they still didn't really feel like they had forgiven them. Here's the conclusion I've come to. You can know you've forgiven someone when you can honestly, truly say 100% with no reservation that you 100% accept that person as a person. Unconditionally. You 100% unconditionally accept them as a person. Well, the only way you can do that is you have to separate the negative actions you're perceiving, or maybe they're real, from them as a person. Okay? Where you can still accept them as a person without accepting their negative behaviors necessarily. And you can absolutely do that. You are not your behavior. If you are, then let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied in your life? Well, The answer is yes, right? Well, should we put, should we brand liar on your forehead? You know, kind of like the Scarlet Letter story. Should we brand liar on your forehead because you've told a lie? Well, you'd probably say, well, no. Sure, everybody's told a lie, but I'm not a liar. I don't, you know, lie all the time. Okay, where's the cutoff point? Can you lie 10 times and still not be a liar? But if you lie the 11th time, then you should put it on your forehead because you are a liar? Is it 100 times? Well, the answer is we don't get to make that decision. That's God's territory. We're, we're not to judge that. Okay? So, the attitude you need to have toward that is it's unlimited. Okay, I will accept you as a person 100% unconditionally no matter what or how many times you've done a behavior because a person is not the sum total of their behavior. They're just not. I know lots of people who do bad behaviors all the time and they want to not do them more than anyone else wants them not to do them but they just can't stop. The Apostle Paul talked about that a couple thousand years ago. He said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, and I do it over and over and over. That's the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, talking about spiritual greats of all time, I mean, he's right up there, and that wasn't when he was a little kid. That was toward the end of his life. And he was saying, not I did this, but I do this. So the point is, if you get grace for your lies and mess-ups, if I get grace for my lies and mess-ups, so does everybody else. You are not the world's hall monitor. And neither am I. And you can accept them as a person without ever accepting their behavior and see them as two different things. And if you do that, yes, and, and, and it still may take some work and prayer and uh, healing some stuff inside you. I understand that. But you can get to a place where you can say, I 100% without condition accept them as a person but not their behavior. And at that point, typically, you have forgiven them. Or you can at that point, which means you cut the cord and now that negative umbilical is not coming to you, at least to the same degree that it was, and you can be free and so can they, okay? Um, One of my uh, meditations and thoughts as I was preparing for this was, okay, Man, how come this is such a big deal? How come every time there's a divorce the kids blame themselves even though it's never the kid's fault and you can tell them a hundred times it's not your fault and they'll say I know and they'll still blame themselves. How come every single time, no matter how hard you try you're health goes down about 20%, you're likely to get some illness or disease that you never would have gotten before. For the children, there's depression, anxiety, behavior issues, grades, drugs, alcohol, and it usually lasts two or more decades no matter what you do for them. Wh- why? Why is it this, this one huge thing that affects us so negatively and so many people? Well, here's my two cents. I believe for a lot of people divorce gets programmed into them as the biggest failure of their life. And in fact, for many people, it's the first time in their life that they believe that as a person they are a failure. And and sometimes almost nothing will Convince them otherwise, and they feel that the rest of their lives. I don't believe they have to, but many of them do. Why would that be? Well, it's because of your unconscious. Okay, your unconscious controls ninety-nine percent of all body functions: breathing, um, immune system, digestion, all the neurological stuff, uh, and, it, and 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 ninety-nine percent of all the information you believe is in your unconscious, okay? So, who you really are, what you really believe, is in your unconscious, or what, or what ancient manuscripts call the spiritual issues of the heart, alright? So, your unconscious mind's number one mandate is to keep you physically alive. And it will go to ridiculous extremes to do that. And it doesn't really care if it overreacts, Means, meaning it starts up fight or flight when your life's not in danger. doesn't really care much about that because then you're still alive. But it cares if it underreacts because if it underreacts, you may be dead. So it overreacts all the time because there's really nothing to lose there because the number one mandate is to keep you alive. And in almost any situation, whether real or not, pushing fight or flight will be likely, more likely, to keep you physically alive. So that is your heart's number one mandate, with one exception. And the one exception is if you choose, understand, and commit to for the rest of your life with nothing held back, no plan B, no safety net, etc., to real love. Why? Why would that be? Because the only thing more important than life and death is love. So in this one relationship where you do this vow in a ceremony with people watching or write your own heartfelt vows and there's only one other one person in the world for this for you and one person in the world for this for the other person and you're saying, I'm committing, vowing, you're going to be that person for me and I'm going to love blah blah blah. Well, if that fails, then in your heart, most people believe, and they can't not believe it, they try to, but it's still there, I'm a failure. Because they know in their heart that love is the most important thing, and in that most important love relationship for me, at least that's the first one, children may be later, but that's the first one. I failed. Well, of course that's a lie. Alright? So, when you experience that after divorce or thinking about divorce or whatever and you feel the guilt and shame and condemnation and, and, and all of that, do not let that just go by. Grab hold of that and say no, no. That does not mean I'm a failure, okay? Uh, and I wouldn't either when Hope kicked me out of the house. I just misunderstood what love was, and so did she, and I believe so do most people, okay? But if you're experiencing that, I believe that's why, uh, way down deep. i um, already said... Um, If it's abuse, I'm the first one to say get away. But you've got to keep loving the person. If you get a divorce, and I believe there are times when divorce is the the best thing because of the relationship, And, and that can only be looked at on an individual basis for me. Okay? But I do believe there's times when it's best. But the key is, you've got to keep loving that person. If not, you've got this... Negative umbilical cord to them for the rest of your life everywhere you go and negative from you to them as well. If you forgive them, that cuts them loose. And if you forgive them, then you can truly love them, even if it's at a distance, which will heal you. Just like the anger and unforgiveness will eat you alive. Um, Here's my uh, advice. If you are... Thinking about divorce, or maybe even if you've already done it, okay? People get remarried all the time. Or, or if you're in another relationship, okay? Here's, here's my challenge to you. Do it one time right. Before you divorce, before you make any decision like that, before you choose to not forgive and be angry or wh- whatever, before any of that, or maybe after any of that, maybe you've been doing that for years, do it right one time and just see what happens. And to do that, go back and watch The Greatest Principle. It's free. Um, I recorded some time ago. If it makes sense to you, you make a vow, you commit to that just like I did 25 years ago with hope. And no matter what Hope did, it changed me for the rest of my life. But it ended up changing her too. Because the real thing is almost impossible to resist. And the wonderful thing is, you know, before the other person resists it or not, it will change you for the better. And I believe the 20% health problems and negatives after divorce, if you choose the greatest principle, make a a commitment to it, real love, and get rid of those expectations, I believe your happiness and health will go up 20% or more, probably a lot more. So to me, that is the way to counteract that. And I have virtually never seen that not happen among people who chose to get rid of expectation in their life, have only good goals, suspend judgment, and commit to and choose every day real love rather than fake love. You can't lose. And I believe it may very well be the only way you can live and not lose. So give it a try and have a wonderful blessed day.